Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs. The show is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Tan Hang Pham. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge Elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you are hearing us from. On today's Women on the Line, we look into the language of distance. How do we navigate both visible and invisible borders? Where is home, and who gets to feel at home? Artist and curator Talia Smith gets us to look into the horizon. She chats with us about her upcoming exhibition, I Can See for Miles, held at the Centre for Contemporary Photography. Later in the show, we hear from Lana Wing, who walks across invisible borders every day. She chats with us about her essay, Mapping the Supplies Chain, featured on Chart Collective. First, we hear from Talia. My name's Talia Smith. I am of Samoan, Cook Island and New Zealand European heritage. I am from New Zealand originally, but I am now based in Sydney and I've been there for nearly four years. I'm an artist and a curator, among many other things. Wonderful. It's so wonderful to have you on Women on the Line. So um, let's start with um, the exhibition that you have coming up here at the um, Centre for Contemporary Photography. Could you please tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So this is a group show that I've curated called I Can See for Miles. And really it references this text by American writer Rebecca Solnit, who sort of spoke about... um, the horizon line and that faded blue distance that you sort of see at the edge of the horizon line as kind of a metaphor for longing. And Mm. I've really been interested in how photography can capture an emotion like that. And so I decided to make this exhibition with um, artists from New Zealand, Australia, and there's also an artist from New York who explore this kind of idea of of longing and reaching and hoping and wanting, all of those kinds of feelings. Could you tell us about the artists you've selected for this program and why you chose them? I guess I knew all of them through either the photographic community or as friends over the years. So Harry Cooley, who's from New Zealand, um, we sort of knew each other because New Zealand is so small and (laughs) everybody knows each other and that's photographic community is even smaller um, and I've always wanted to show his work in something so mm-hmm. having this opportunity I you know leapt at the chance to show his work for that and Ella Condon I actually work with her at the Museum of um, Contemporary Art in Sydney we're both artist educators there mm. um, we I guess pretty much everyone in the show to be honest has been I've been a long time fan of their work and I'm always looking for ways to include work I really believe in Mm. And and Alice was one of those. I remember I went to her studio when she was part of Parramatta Artist Studios in Sydney, uh, probably about two years ago or maybe even three. I went there and 
I really loved her work and was, you know, really taken by it and have kind of followed her career over the the time that's gone by. And then when we got to work together, um, I thought it was quite a perfect chance to sort of get to know her practice a bit more um, on a sort of personal level and then get her to be in the show. Um, Claire Weeks, who is also in the show, she is a Newcastle-based artist, and I actually found her through Instagram. Mm. The joys of social media. um, (laughs) It's very, very powerful. And, you know, as a curator, I often come upon so many artists whose work I really admire, and I, you know, save their website links or an image of theirs or something and then go back later and look a, look into their work a bit more, maybe try and start a conversation with them to get to know about it. Like, that's what I did with Claire. So. I really love that, I guess, as a curator, like you're reaching out to people's artwork that you, you know, you admire and you respect and then also building a yeah. relationship with them. Yeah, do you feel like that's a really important part of curating? I definitely think so. And I think that as a curator, you have a responsibility to to do that, basically to do research and to get out there and look and, and go to shows or look on the internet, you know, like it doesn't have to be physical going to shows, but and making those connections, I think you really do have a responsibility to do that. And a lot of curators can be a little bit lazy mm. and don't and sort of just rely on their social network rather than doing the work themselves. Yeah, yeah, and really expanding upon um, their immediate uh, social circles yeah. as well. I, I like to do that. I like to look and try and find people I, I don't know. So with the artists that um, that you're working with now in this exhibition, mm-hmm. would you want to curate with them again? Yeah, definitely. I think that you the relationships you create, uh, yeah, <laughs> create, curate, very same <laughs> word. The relationships you create when you are curating is... Um, <laughs> Like, they're really important, and you aim for them to be long-lasting. Mm. And whether that is that you show their work again, or maybe you work with them on a sort of a project and you help them develop it, or mm. maybe it's recommending them to another show, mm. like, you know, to, to another curator or another space or something like that. It's, I think that it can grow in lots of ways, and that's what I always hope. It doesn't always happen, of course, but that's what I always hope. Yeah, and how do you find that that's different to, um, yeah, being an artist and your artistic practice? To be honest, my curatorial and artist practice go quite hand in hand. So mm-hmm. they both inform, you know, each other. And if I'm not curating something, but I've got my work in it, then, you know, or I'm putting in a proposal then I call upon those networks that I have to think of people who I might want to show with. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm. they both sort of inform each other. So I don't know if they're different necessarily. I also never, well, not never, but I don't like to curate myself into the shows that I do. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm, if it's my work I want to show, my visual arts practice, then I am not the curator. Mm. I, that's just how I work. I don't, there is no right or wrong. 
and that and whether you have your own work in there. But just for me, I like to keep it very separate. When I was like looking into your work, I'd noticed you'd done a few pieces in the past. For example, um, your work at Bus Projects, um, you, you, know, you spoke about longing and distance as well in that project. Yes. So I guess I'd like to know like, yeah, more about um, your thinking behind this exhibition coming up. Yeah, I think um, when I curate as well, I, I like to work with people that do things that I don't do. So as in like the medium they do or, the, or what they photograph or whichever um, output, you know, visual output that I'm working with. But this idea of longing and distance is something that I think has kind of really become quite strong in my own personal work since I don't live in New Zealand anymore where I you know, was born and I grew up for my whole entire life pretty much. And that kind of aching distance of leaving home mm. and what that then means has become really pertinent to me now that I live in Australia and away from all of my family. Um, so I will be doing my Masters of Fine Arts as well, um, hopefully in second semester, start it. And that's quite a, a strong theme that I'll be investigating. Mm-hmm. And when I read that quote or that piece by Rebecca Solnit, I just, it really kind of resonated with me. And I started to notice in other people's works that it's a very common theme. And it's something that I think we all kind of feel the slight kind of disconnect because you know we're most of us are like second generation third generation like Australian born or New Zealand born um and so we hear about this kind of history of our parents or grandparents or whoever but we have not experienced it I don't know if I'm quite making sense yeah yeah you're making sense yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, so we don't understand that concept. You know, my great my grandparents, sorry, on my mother's side, they immigrated from the Pacific Islands and moved to New Zealand, and so they always spoke of this home that I had no idea about. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know the culture and I didn't know the language, and um, they've since passed. And I've visited only the Cook Islands. I've never been to Samoa, but you know, your experience is always going to be very different to theirs of that kind of homeland. Yeah. So it's it's also that ancestral distance, it's physical distance, it's emotional distance, and I think that a lot of artists around my age and younger are really dealing with that at the moment because what does it really mean to be home? What does it mean to not be home? What does home mean? What does it mean to long for something? Like I think we're always searching for an answer for something that we might never get. Um, I think that was really well um, explained. It, the other day I was watching Once Upon a Time in Cabramatta, which is a, mm-hmm. an SBS documentary series. I'm Vietnamese and I was born in Melbourne. And my parents came over as refugees. When I was watching it, I felt like so much resonance, even though I didn't know those people personally in the documentary. Yeah. But there was that there's that distance but then there's also that like feeling of like oh like I get what you were feeling and yeah that creates a sense of like I guess like longing in a sense to to understand something yeah. so 
Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I think we, we are definitely always trying to understand ourselves. And um, I don't think we ever get there or we ever will really get there. I mean, how can you fully understand mm. yourself? You're always changing and growing. And that kind of metaphor that when you look out into the horizon line and that distance out there, it represents longing because when whether you realize it or not, when you're looking out into the horizon line and into that, dis- that physical distance, you're are wondering what's on that other side. Yeah. You can't, yeah, you, like you can't help it. Women on the line. When you were in New Zealand, did you, did you feel these feelings as well? I think I still did as well. Um, growing up as a mixed race person is a very confusing experience at times. And I grew up in a very small town that was predominantly white and um, indigenous New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of didn't get a lot of experience of who I was culturally for a, like a really long time, basically. It wasn't until I moved to Auckland for university that I kind of started to connect a lot more with being someone of Pacific Island descent and... Um, so I think I've always felt that kind of, I guess, emotional distance and, and cultural distance as well throughout my life. Yeah, the physical kind of distance has kind of exasperated everything, I guess, now. Because at least I was in New Zealand then, which was still kind of home. And now that I'm not, and I've had to really get used to, you know, not seeing as many Pacific Island faces and things like that. Do you see yourself going back anytime soon? My life is here at the moment and New Zealand is a beautiful place to grow up in and and to live, but it is a hard place to work and to work in the arts industry. It's not um, easy and there aren't many jobs. So for that reason, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but I, I hope that at least when I'm a bit older and... I will eventually go back, but I I don't see it happening anytime soon. Your medium is photography. Do you think it's like one of the best ways to represent the ideas that you're exploring? Yeah, I think it is because inherent in the medium is that we are capturing a a mere moment in time and that moment in time that you have captured can never be repeated and it will never happen again. So there is sort of that really kind of beautiful, almost sadness to photography that I think taking an image, using a camera, etc. I feel like that you can only really achieve that with photography. And, and some of the artists like Claire Weeks' work in the show, hers is, oh, and Magali's as well, they're both alternate photographic processes, so they're not even using an actual camera. Mm. Um yeah, that which is also a beautiful thing as well. And I think photography, not just your standard sort of image, which is beautiful as well, which some of the works are, but these ones I'm trying to say with alternate photographic processes, it's capturing a trace of a moment as well as, you know, those ones that are really figurative or representative. But there's something even more... 
I guess, I can't think of the word, but beautiful or something in not using the camera, but it's still capturing light. It's still capturing a moment. It's still capturing time. You just heard from artist and curator Talia Smith chat to us about her upcoming exhibition, I Can See for Miles, at the Centre for Contemporary Photography. The exhibition runs from the 22nd of March to the 6th of May. On today's episode, we look into the language of distance, home, borders and looking beyond the horizon. Up next, we hear from Lana Wing, who walks across invisible borders every day. She chats with us about her essay, Mapping the Supplies Chain, featured on Chart Collective. I'm your host, Tan Hang Pham, and you're listening to Women on the Line. Stay tuned to hear from Lana Wing. Hi, Women on the Line. My name is Lana Nguyen. I am a person who works in the arts, an artist, I guess. <laughs> and I recently wrote a piece on Chart Collective about my father called Mapping the Supplies Chain. For those who don't know, maybe you could start by doing a reading of your piece before we get into the questions. When I want to share these things with my dad, things outside of the home, the difference between the ways we experience Australia often creates tension between us. When I came back from my trip to Cuba, I asked him if he wanted to do something special with me, go out somewhere, something to acknowledge the occasion. I asked it with a little bit of distance, because requests like that are quite a strain, and I know a lot of the time I'll be met with a no. He doesn't like crowds. He doesn't like going out. Why do we need to eat when we've got food right here? Why can't we listen to music at home? I usually just accept this as his preference. A hard-edged quirk. Even though it makes me feel a little frustrated and sad. But now, looking closely, I realise the reason he doesn't like to go out comes from a much deeper place than what I lazily assumed. He doesn't like crowds because of the bombs he feared in the crowded places of Vietnam. He doesn't like crowds because he is not permitted to join them. He can't move in Australia without the casual policing of racial borders by its citizens. Lana, you know why I don't like to do things outside of the house? I feel inferior. I don't want to go out because I don't want to have to go out in a sea of people where 50% of them don't like you. When people look at you in the pub, they make you feel uneasy. I don't want to go out there because I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I can be accepted. I feel good at home. I feel peaceful. My family doesn't look at me like I belong somewhere else. And so he stays inside. The refugees panopticon. When I went dancing with my friend in Cuba, he was arrested by the state and put away for a night to reinforce the border between Cuban and tourists. I could never go dancing with my father. He's been put under house arrest by the white Australian gaze. The border between Vietnamese and Australian has been scarred in his mind. Thank you, Lana. That was actually one of my favourite passages, so I'm so happy that you chose that one to share with us. For those who haven't read this piece, could you give a little bit of context on what inspired you to write it? The series this is written in was all about mapping and location and spaces and So responding to that, I was thinking about the ways that we change our movements with the maps that we make in our mind. And um, 
I just come back from Cuba at the time where it was like um, very intense politically and I had been dancing with a friend and he had been arrested for dancing with tourists and so that was something that was really a big realisation of the ways that your movement is sort of curbed by the governing forces around you and I think my dad did but in a different way. That's what made me write this piece. I think there's a bit where earlier in the article you're like, I that you navigate, that you cross borders or that you kind of go under borders all the time. And that really spoke to me. Could you talk about like, uh, I guess, in that context of, yeah, how you kind of cross borders? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up overseas and um, grew up in an international school and would come back to Australia every year. And it was this constant switching of identity for me where in the international school because it was in Malaysia in Asia I was seen as a white person being mixed race and then as soon as I would come back into colonial Australia I would be seen as so Vietnamese amongst my family and friends it was just this identity that I always had to switch between and I think having white Australian mother and a Vietnamese father there are so many contestations of identity even just within the family home and I think especially working in the arts I've had to like really use that as a tool to navigate a lot of spaces that um, I guess are mainly populated by white people and so it's something that I um, because it's something I've grown up with living um, with a white Australian mother I can play the role very easily but there are parts of me that um, uh, yeah don't fit into the spaces as well which is um, I guess why I'm interested in being involved as well. (laughs) Mm, Yeah I think um, it's interesting how you in the article you use examples of work but you also so very much like public um, working life but then also you talk about the inner private home life and I really like how you contrast both those elements in your writing um I guess like how do you see that you know the way you navigate borders internally in the home space um compared to you know in in the arts or when you're working a hospitality job I think it's different I feel like when it when I'm at home um a lot of the um, intersections of hospitality are sort of brought all together. So for me, it feels like a space where I can sit in that duality and also that um, people can come into that duality and see... I I, I feel like um, in Vietnamese culture, it's such a hospitable place, the home. And so when people come over... um, it, it feels like they can come into that. But it's also something that's been a very big part of my mum's family, being from such a big family and um, I guess being from the country in Queensland. It's that Those two sides of me meet at the home and it becomes this place where, um, yeah, those, those two things that bring people together are what brings my identity together too, in a way. Mm, yeah, mm. I guess so. Yeah. In the passage you just read, you talked about your dad, you know, preferring to stay at home. Do you think that that has changed throughout time? Like, does he, you know, would he go out with you now, like to places or would he still very much prefer to stay home compared to maybe when he first arrived? Actually, even after writing this 
article, we talked about the fact of him wanting to stay home a lot more. And I think from having these conversations, he's realised this part of himself and is sort of stepping out of it. He still won't go out a lot of the time and is, um, you know, it's very rare for him to go um, to a concert or go out for dinner. And, and when he does leave the home, he's ultra polite to try and make sure that he is, I guess, in the right spaces and doing the right things and um, mm. still finds it really difficult. But, um, yeah, it's been interesting as he's, um, as we've had these conversations more, I think he's making a bigger effort to try and go out and try to um, not allow these things to squash him inside you know yeah Mm, yeah and in that kind of passage as well you talked about when you asked him to go out um that you asked it with a bit of distance could you elaborate on what you meant by that I think as I've grown up with him never wanting to leave it's something that I assume but um and I guess as as I stereotype him with like he doesn't want to leave I don't give him as many chances to leave and yeah the the other day he he um now he's about to retire he wants to um learn about astrology and music and finally out of his working life he wants to explore his interests and Mm. um someone in my house recommended that he went to this Swinburne talk and I was like oh (laughs) I, I don't think he'll he'll do it but um he did it Mm. And it was really, like, amazing that he did. And he needed a bit of encouragement, but slowly he's stepping out, which is really, really exciting. Yeah. Oh, that's really exciting. That's really good to hear. I'd love to hear more about, you know, how you feel about the piece now. It's been, um, is it over a month now that you've published this piece? It was actually published last year, so a few months ago. Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it was a really um, beautiful way to connect with my father through this piece. I guess responding to um, Borders, it was quite open-ended and it allowed me to go on a journey of what I needed to write about. And, um, yeah, I guess having these candid conversations my father brought us a lot closer and allowed him to validate his experience a lot more and um, I think it's extended some of the ideas he has around um, you know um, racism in the workplace and stuff and um, it becomes more of a collective experience once you've shared it and that's been really beautiful for us to do Women on the Line You just heard from Lana Wing chat to us about her essay, Mapping the Supplies Chain, featured on Chart Collective. If you're interested in reading Lana's work, please head to our Facebook page for more details. Women on the Line is one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs program. It is produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. We welcome your comments and feedback on today's show please send us an email at womenonthelion at gmail.com. 
Our programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the land. And don't forget you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. Thanks for listening to Women on the Line. I've been your host, Tan Hang Fan, and tune in again next time. <laughs>